is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number, 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there's some deep concern out there about a hurricane that looks like it's building off the Pacific. Did you see this, Mr. Producer? It's Hurricane Hillary. Hurricane Hillary. And uh, they're concerned that... uh, Hurricane Hillary will be dumping all kinds of liquids and fluids, all kinds of water, just horrendous on California. You know that state can't handle a lot of water. And you see a lot of homes built on the various uh, hills and hilltops and all kinds of things tend to happen. So we hope our friends will be okay. But now they're going to know what it's like. We have Hurricane Hillary here on the East Coast. It's very ugly. Very ugly. And the impact on the climate, they should call it climate change, Hillary, is just unbelievable. Hurricane Hillary. Just thought you'd want to know. This guy we told you about before, actually yesterday, uh, who's an Obamaite. And who decided to hold water back. And he's accused now of preventing access to more water by the fire departments on Maui. Because he's a climate change fanatic. Already, I would love to know how many lives have been lost or how many people are harmed or injured as a result of climate change fanatics. And we know the reliance on electricity and electricity alone and the growing alliance on electricity is nuts. So we have a complete sort of fusion. Electricity setting the island on fire and a an individual apparently apparently, reportedly, excuse me, reportedly involved in withholding water from the uh, fire department. 
not directly, but he, he wouldn't give them the water they asked for, so that's direct enough as far as I'm concerned. Ah, climate change, the future, it's just going to be fantastic. It really is. Starvation, uh, inconvenience at a minimum, all these great things are going to take place. Anyway, I want to move on here. The United States Department of Injustice is asking for a 30-year sentence for the leader of the Proud Boys who was convicted of sedition. This is how CNN reports it. The Justice Department is seeking three-decade prison sentences for the leaders, plural, of the Proud Boys convicted of seditious conspiracy for plotting and leading the crowd at the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot Positioning the men as failed, thuggish political revolutionaries. This is weird. I thought Donald Trump was responsible for this, Mr. Producer. In a new court filing, prosecutors say Enrique Trillo, Ethan Nordin, Joseph Biggs, Zachary Real, and Dominican Zelo, Pazelo, quote, intentionally positioned themselves at the vanguard of political violence in this country for years on January 6th, sought to change the course of American history. Don't you think this is a little dramatic? Seriously, folks? These guys, whether they're armed or unarmed, they didn't show any weapons when they went into the building. They didn't fire any weapons in the building. They didn't use any knives or swords or hammers or anything when they were in the building. They didn't use pepper spray, bear spray, smoke bombs, stink bombs, nothing. And according to the Department of Justice, Federal Bureau of Investigation and prosecutors, they were leading a revolution to overthrow the country. The jury found Pizzola not guilty of seditious conspiracy, and he's not alleged to have leadership positions in the organization. Are they guilty of having leadership positions in this crazy organization, or are they guilty of having done something? The defendants understood the stakes, the prosecution, and they embraced their role in bringing about a revolution. There was no revolution. The revolution's taking place right now. They unleashed a force on the Capitol, that was calculated to exert their political will on elected officials by force and to undo the results of a democratic election. This is an essay. This is an essay. Nothing more, nothing less. The foot soldiers of the right, armed to, the, armed to keep their leader in power. That would be Trump. They failed. They are not heroes. They are criminals, prosecutors wrote in the news filing. Court filing in many ways is the summation of the years-long effort by U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. to prosecute hundreds of rioters. Excuse me, they've prosecuted 1,100 who inflicted violence at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. I thought they were accused of leading a revolution. Were they found guilty? That is sedition. Were they found guilty of violence? Of specifically hurting somebody? I don't know. Are even more responsible for the attack than the leadership of another militia group, the Oath Keepers, 
who stashed weapons just outside Washington as backup and suited up in military gear to march into the riot. Uh, They stashed weapons as backup? Did they use them? No. I'm sorry, I'm just being honest. I know I'm not allowed to be. All of a sudden, I'm going to be a white supremacist, me the Jew. Stuart Rhodes, the founder of the Oath Keepers, received a sentence of 18 years in prison for his role on January 6th, following his conviction of seditious conspiracy, the longest sentence so far among any defendant from that day. They asked that he get 25 years. The conduct of these defendants is more egregious than that of the Oath Keepers defendants. Warrants greater sentences, the prosecutors wrote. It's critical that this court impose significant sentences of incarceration on all the defendants in this case to convey those who would mobilize such political violence in the future that their actions will have consequences. Oh, really? Is there one Black Lives Matter individual involved in violence who has served 25 or 30 years? Remember those two people, both lawyers, Ivy League lawyers in New York, and threw a Molotov cocktail into a police cruiser. Remember that, Mr. Producer? Remember that, America? Threw a Molotov cocktail into a police cruiser. Thank God the police weren't in their cruiser. The Department of Justice took a different position. The Department of Justice said, look, these are first offenders. They meant well. They weren't really trying to hurt anybody. You remember this, America? And they got off. They spent a minimal amount of time in jail. Minimal. Minuscule. And they got out. At the request of the United States Department of Justice. So you're going to have some people do 30 years, this other guy doing 18 years. I don't know them. I don't know their groups. 30 years, they're asking. The other guy, 18 years. And the people who threw Molotov cocktails in an NYPD cruiser, obviously trying to kill one or two police officers, the same Department of Justice argues that they've had enough time in jail. I think it was like 6, 8, 10, 12 months at max. And they let them out? This is why I read these stories to you. I can blow them off like everybody else or say, I don't need the grief that comes along with, with talking about these things, but I'm talking about these things. It makes no sense, does it? Unless you understand what's going on. It's funny to hear these prosecutors talk about revolutionary activity. Black Lives Matter talks specifically about overthrowing the country. That it pushes the Marxist doctrine. It's very specific about it. They don't talk about them that way. That they're revolutionaries, even though they claim to be revolutionaries, trying to overthrow the government, even though they claim that they're trying to overthrow the government. Same with Antifa. So you see, if certain people want to overthrow the government, even violently, they're peacefully protesting. In at least two cases, the Department of Justice will come to their defense. But if you're part of the Proud Boys, well, you ought to get 30 years. Each of them, 30 years. 
know, I watch these shows on television in addition to doing a ton of reading that like A&E, you watch uh, the first 48 shows like that. And sometimes they'll circle back to show, uh, you know, what the kind of sentence these people get. Murderers get 30 years, sometimes with a chance for parole, sometimes not. Murderers get 30 years. Murders. The fact is, these people didn't even come close to overthrowing the United States government. They didn't come even close. It was ugly. It was violent. But you want to talk about ugly and violent? Remember when the Puerto Rican freedom terrorists, a.k.a. freedom fighters, were sitting in the gallery, the House of Representatives. They unloaded their pistols. They actually almost killed one congressman and hit others. And um, trying to overthrow our country. Bill Clinton let most of them out. Barack Obama let the last one out. Or the explosions in, in New York that killed cops. Remember them? Or Barack Obama, whose buddy was a domestic terrorist. Students for Democratic Action, remember them? People were injured. In the end, people actually got killed. Remember the effort to blow up the Capitol building in the Pentagon? Remember that? Daniel Ellsberg in the crowd? Remember that? Daniel Ellsberg died recently as some kind of hero? Remember all that? Now, these are people who used real weapons. Bombs, guns, murder, mayhem, shot people, blow up people. And they were never talked about like this. They all got lenient sentences. Or they all got out early. Case of Obama's buddy, there was some kind of technical issue on his trial, so he never served a day that I understand. So don't lecture us about this, please. And while we're here, and while we're here, there can be violent efforts to overthrow the government, and there can be non-violent efforts to overthrow the government, and every communist philosopher for the last 150 years has talked about the West, and you need non-violent revolutions. They call them passive revolutions. As Thomas Jefferson said, you can have the tyranny of the elected, the tyranny of the legislature. It's just as bad in the end as the rest. Because what you wind up with in modern times now is a police state. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
You know what helps me sleep well at night? Physical gold. I'm concerned about what the Biden administration is doing, and I've decided to learn more about gold IRAs to help me diversify. Did you know you can buy gold for your IRA or 401k? Gold can't be tracked like digital currency. No one has to know what you're buying, and there's no way to print more. My best resource for gold IRAs is Augusta Precious Metals. Their track record is no less than phenomenal. Learn why thousands of Americans are getting gold IRAs as part of the retirement portfolios, and you need to contact Augusta Precious Metals and get their free guide. I'm serious. Text LEVIN to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. LEVIN to 68592 or go to AugustaPreciousMetals.com. That's AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Text date and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Since the Department of Justice raised it, let's get into this. Let's get into Barack Obama and his relationship with violent terrorists. This is even Wikipedia I'll use, just for the fun of it. Bill Ayers is an American retired professor and activist. During the 1960s, Ayers rose to prominence as a leader of the far-left weather underground militant group that's a Marxist group. Described by the FBI as a terrorist group. 1969, Ayers co-founded the Weather Underground, a revolutionary group modeled on the Red Guards in Germany. The Red Guards in China as well, active at the same time that sought to overthrow what they viewed as American imperialism. In other words, overthrow our government. The Weather Underground conducted a campaign of bombing public buildings, including police stations, the U.S. Capitol, and the Pentagon. During the 60s and 70s, in response to U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War. The bombings, writes Wikipedia, which caused no fatalities except for three members killed when one of the group's own devices accidentally exploded. Well, that's three fatalities, you idiots. Resulted in heirs being hunted as a fugitive for several years until charges were dropped due to illegal actions by the FBI agents pursuing him. Doesn't mean he was innocent. He's a retired professor now, University of or College of Education, University of Illinois in Chicago, formally holding the titles of Distinguished Professor. During a 2008 U.S. presidential campaign, a controversy rose over his contacts with then-Kennedy Barack Obama. And they kind of drop it at that. Isn't that that amazing? Well, I'm not dropping it at all. I want you to know about Bill Ayers and more. I also want you to know about the Muslim Brotherhood and their association with Obama and their visits to the White House during the course of his presidency. I want you to know how militant, violent... Militia groups are treated depending on who they are. I'll be right back. You know what helps me sleep well at night? Physical gold. I'm concerned about what the Biden administration is doing, and I've decided to learn more about gold IRAs to help me diversify. Did you know you can buy gold for your IRA or 401k? Gold can't be tracked like digital currency. No one has to know what you're buying, and there's no way to print more. My best resource for gold IRAs is Augusta Precious Metals. Their track record is no less than phenomenal. Learn why thousands of Americans are getting gold IRAs as part of the retirement portfolios 
shows, and you need to contact Augusta Precious Metals and get their free guide. I'm serious. Text LEVIN to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. LEVIN to 68592, or go to AugustaPreciousMetals.com. That's AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Text date and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Mark Levin, Liberty's General Patton. Call into the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. One of the things you're going to learn, folks, when you read The Democrat Party Hates America is how the Democrat Party is constantly flipping scripts. It is an evil party that has done evil and unconscionable things. And then it tries to rewrite history through repetition, through propaganda, through its use of its uh, media cohorts. And people come to believe these things. Because unlike you, people are not likely to really look into history. And by the way, you can get a copy of The Democrat Party Hates America right now, 40% off. Secure your first edition copy. It's a big deal. First edition copy. Just go to Amazon.com. You get a first edition copy at 40% off as soon as it comes out. Honestly, it doesn't get better than that. Actually, what gets better than that is actually reading the book. But you'll see how they flip the switch, the script all the time. Now, the Denver Post in November 2008 wrote, Bill Ayers, the Vietnam War era radical who was a campaign headache for Barack Obama, says in a new afterword to his memoir that the two were neighbors and family friends. Ayers' reflections appear in a new paperback release of his 2001 memoir, Fugitive Days. The AP obtained a copy of the new afterword Thursday. And then he was an education professor at the University of Illinois, Chicago. This is where all these Stalinists go. They go to college campuses. Ayers helped found the uh, Vietnam-era radical group, the Weather Under- the Weather the Weathermen, I should say, which carried out bombings at the Pentagon and the Capitol and, uh, and elsewhere. During his years, this year's presidential campaign, John McCain accused Obama of palling around with terrorists because of his past connections to Ayers. In addition to a Meet the Candidate event, Ayers hosted more than a dozen years when Obama was starting his political career. Ayers and Obama served on a Chicago School Reform Group, and on a foundation board. Obama has denounced Ayers' violent past and said Ayers was never involved in his White House campaign. But in the afterword of his book, Ayers notes that he does not elaborate on the description of family friends. In 2008, he says, there was a lot of chatter on the blog sphere about my relationship with Barack Obama. We had served together on the board of a foundation, knew one another as neighbors and family friends, had an initial fundraiser at my house where I made a small donation to his earliest political campaign, Ayers writes. But Obama tried to distance himself, and later Ayers tried to distance himself. They were good friends. They were ideological overlaps, if you will. That's the truth. And the media did everything they could to cover it up with a pillow. They tried to smother it. I remember all this, and you had to have some guts to come out and talk about it. And, and I, to tell you the truth, the one guy that kept hammering on this and hammering on this and hammering on this over and over and over again 
was Hannity on radio and on his TV show. I mentioned it as well, but he he hit it over and over and over again. And he was right. Now, the weather men, the weather underground, they attacked our institutions with bombs. They shot people. They tried to burn things down. Honestly, I don't know anything about the Proud Boys. I don't know if they've ever done anything like that, but I would assume if we knew, then we'd hear about it. But this is worse. Because they charged the Capitol building. This is Judge Jackson. Excuse me, this is Judge Chutkin, the one overseeing the, the Trump case on January 6th. She said, no, 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 in response to a defendant at sentencing, no, no, no. This is worse than 2020, she said, what happened in 2006. Because it was an assault on the Capitol building. Oh, I see. Because they were saying, why are we getting more time than all these other people that had riots, killed people, destroyed billions of dollars in property, were trying to overthrow the government? This is worse. That's the judge Trump has now. She won't even recuse herself. And by the way, very, very importantly... The Department of Justice and Smith have asked this judge to set the trial in the so-called January 6th case. It's not even the right way to put it, but just for short, shortcut, in January. In January. What is that, four or five months from now? Can you imagine? And Trump's lawyers smartly said, no, it ought to be April 2025, after the election and after the inauguration. Now we'll see what this Judge Chutkin does. We'll see what she does. I think I know already. And uh, when you get people like Bill Barr cheerleading for her to have an early trial and so forth and so on, you know, they find cover in their unconscionable acts. All of these cases should be after the election, if not dismissed on substantive grounds for many, many reasons. I just want you to know this, because people aren't going to remember what I'm reminding you of. They're not going to remember even on our favorite cable network, unless they're listening to this program, and certainly CNN and MSNBC will smother it. And so will the New York Slimes as they smothered the Holocaust. And so will the Washington Post as it smothered the Hunter Biden laptop. I'm just telling you. But seems to me the the weathermen, the weather underground were did a hell of a lot more damage to this country. I don't know many people who served 30 years either. Now what's the Muslim Brotherhood? What's the Muslim Brotherhood? Is that sort of a civic organization, you know? Like the uh like the Lions Club? Is that what it is? Sort of the civics organization? Let's go back to Wikipedia, who's no friend of ours. The Society of Muslim Brothers, known as the Muslim Brotherhood, is a transnational Sunni Islamist organization founded in Egypt in 1928. Initially, it's pan-Islamic religious and social movement. It preached Islam in Egypt 
quote, the illiterate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The group spread to other Muslim countries, but still is one of its largest organizations in Egypt. But what about it? Boy, I really have to scroll down. This just tells you a lot about Wikipedia, doesn't it? I'm getting there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me see if I can help. Here we go. 2011, revolution and after. Well, they were involved in a number of things, including the murder of... Uh, I mean, let me pull up a different site. These guys are so pathetic. The Muslim Brotherhood is understood as an international terrorist organization. Let me cut to the chase. Let me cut to the chase. That's essentially what it is. That's essentially what it's been. And even according to the Council on Foreign Relations, let's see here. Of course, it started in Egypt. The group came to national power, winning the presidency. Uh, Arab Spring, you might recall, in uh, the early 2000s, and then there was a uh, an uprising to overthrow it. Barack Obama was very sympathetic to the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, cut off funding for them when they overthrew, when they were overthrown. They ousted uh, Hosni Mubarak in 2011. The group's political arm won a plurality of seats in Egypt's lower house of the parliament. Its candidate, you might remember Mohamed Morsi, was elected president, but he was ousted in a military coup. And I might say, thank God. Founded in 1928 as a history of violence, it earned legitimacy among its core constituency by pretending to, you know, feed the poor and so forth. Uh, but it's been a radical organization. It helped found uh, these terrorist groups, these, these shoot-offs uh, in the Middle East. And here, the Muslim Brotherhood in our own country a radical organization. And they visited the White House repeatedly during the Obama administration. So did this group CARE that was founded in a meeting in Philadelphia uh, in order to promote the interest of Hamas, among others in this country, and those involved in founding it, including the Muslim Brotherhood. And CARE, of course, is effectively an appendage of the Democrat Party and they went to the Obama White House over and over and over and over and over again. So keep that in mind. And not only that, during the Obama administration, CARE was paid to provide anti-discrimination advice, that is, anti-Muslim discrimination advice, to the FBI and other parts of the Department of Justice. So you can see Black Lives Matter, Antifa, the Weathermen and the Weather Underground, the Puerto Rican Independence Movement, uh, CARE, the Muslim Brotherhood. Prosecutors don't talk about them the way they talk about the Proud Boys, or the Oath Keepers, or even the vast majority of people in this country as white supremacists. Now, I'm not defending the Proud Boys. I don't know anything about the Proud Boys. I haven't even looked into it. I don't know anything about the Oath Keepers. I haven't even looked into them either. 
But it is amazing to me how violent Marxists, even from the 2020 riots, are treated by the media and federal prosecutors. They didn't round up 1,100 people and prosecute them. Black Lives Matter, Antifa. They weren't proudly reporting to Congress, the FBI and the Attorney General, that they were doing so, the biggest investigation in our history. No. Well, why not? Wasn't that an insurrection? They said they wanted to overthrow the country. Does an insurrection only happen when people are protesting or breaking into the Capitol building? It's not pretty. But what about those people who are trying to breach the the fence outside the White House? How many of them were rounded up? Remember the media? Remember Nancy Pelosi? Attacking? The Department of Justice attacking? The park police? Attacking people who are trying to protect the White House? Over 50 Secret Service personnel were injured? Trump and his family were taken to the nuclear bunker under the White House? How come nobody ever talks about that as an effort at insurrection? To decapitate the executive branch trying to break into the White House and the White House grounds. What about it? Oh, you know what about it. You know what the hell is going on. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know what helps me sleep well at night? Physical gold. I'm concerned about what the Biden administration is doing, and I've decided to learn more about gold IRAs to help me diversify. Did you know you can buy gold for your IRA or 401k? Gold can't be tracked like digital currency. No one has to know what you're buying, and there's no way to print more. My best resource for gold IRAs is Augusta Precious Metals. Their track record is no less than phenomenal. Learn why thousands of Americans are getting gold IRAs as part of the retirement portfolios and you need to contact Augusta Precious Metals and get their free guide. I'm serious. Text LEVIN to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. LEVIN to 68592 or go to AugustaPreciousMetals.com. That's AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Text date and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at AugustaPreciousMetals.com. You know, I predict that people are going to like Vivek Ramaswamy after this debate. Because he's smooth. He's very smooth. But here's my problem. And I don't personally dislike him. I don't personally know him. He'll say things that are kind of flip. And they're quick. And then we move on. They're not very substantive. Now, what am I talking about? I guarantee he's going to say during this debate, I'm not part of the swamp. I've never been in politics. It's one thing to be an outsider. It's another thing to have no record whatsoever of supporting conservatives, of being conservative, or writing conservative things, or saying conservative things, supporting groups like the Tea Party. 
I mean, he's an adult. He's a man. He's almost 38 years old. There's nothing past two years or so and beyond. Nothing. Now, that gives you an opportunity to say whatever you want. Gives you an opportunity to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm not part of the swamp. But that doesn't mean if you're not part of the swamp that you're conservative. There's vast majority of you are not part of the swamp. I can find nothing, absolutely nothing. He was on the show. I asked him. I put it to him. He came up with nothing. So for me, I need some fingerprints somewhere. People are finding them with George Soros' older brother. And then he says some truly outrageous things about Taiwan. We're going to have Taiwan help us build up our chip industry, hopefully by 2035 or 2038, and then we're going to, uh, then they're on their own. What? So why would Taiwan help us build up our chip industry if a president of the United States says, help us, and then you're on your own? Does anybody know why we have an alliance with Taiwan? Anybody? Get to that in a minute. But that, that position rejects every position of every conservative candidate and president since Barry Goldwater. And Ronald Reagan. And Donald Trump. Well, it's not a forever war, so that can't be the issue. So you're going to hand Taiwan to the communist Chinese? Now, what are the implications for that, America? What are the implications? Oh, good. Maybe the Philippines are next. Because what use are the Philippines to you and me? They don't even have a chip industry. That's the problem. But yesterday he said something to me that was equally, if not crazier. And I want to get to that in the next hour. I got to deal with business here. All right, let me start this. Maybe I can end it too. Vivek Ramaswamy effectively says, look, I want to help the core of my policy in the Middle East to get more Abraham Accords between Israel and Arab countries. And then leave. Get out of there. And we shouldn't give aid to Israel unless we give aid to everybody in about the same amounts. Really? Does that appeal to you? I want to talk about this when we return. This isn't, this isn't even, we don't want any more forever wars, we don't want to call World War III. This is as extreme as Bernie Sanders' foreign policy. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 
877-381-3811. So, Vivek Ramaswamy writes, well, first, he he made a statement uh, about our relationship with the state of Israel, which essentially says, look, essentially, we should treat the Arab states in Israel on a level playing field. We should... You know, give aid to Israel as much as we give to anybody else. We get all these Arab Accords in there, many more of them. Um, and then integrate Israel into these sort of Arab alliances and then leave. We don't need to give them any more aid. So he's kind of adjusted that since I called him out. I said, not good. Awful, actually. Our relationship with Israel is very special. It should be treated like, say, Yemen. Then I said that Vivek also threw Taiwan under the bus. He says, in response, the centerpiece of my Middle East policy in year one will be to consummate Abraham Accords 2.0, which will be good for the U.S. and good for Israel. Let's stop right there. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? I'll get to that in a minute. Trump knew how to do it. We can lead the way in helping Israel fully integrate into the economic and security infrastructure of the Middle East. Via the Abraham Accords 2.0, it is better for everyone if Israel is truly able to stand on its own two feet with support from partners across the Middle East that we diplomatically bring to the table. We will not leave Israel hanging out to dry ever. Okay, these statements don't work together. You can't integrate all this in any kind of a logical way. What I'm saying is, and I'm, I'll break it down, Vivek is probably the best speaker that's running with the thinnest credentials. Now, he'll move quickly between, you know, I've been a businessman and I'm not part of the swamp and everything, but that's not good enough for me. It's just not. When I see some of these guys who have fought like hell to stop the radicals from taking over our country, and now they're part of the swamp, I'm not buying that. So I wrote in response to Vivek, Israel does not, Israel does stand on its own two feet. It spends, and I had to correct this, over 5% of its GDP on defense. And it has fought bravely for 75 years in numerous wars and battles. Your statement is absurd. Nonetheless, it's a tiny country with few people. Its enemies not only receive billions in weapons from our enemies, but in the case of Iran, billions of dollars from our country via Biden's policies. However, you missed the point entirely. Israel is an ally in a very dangerous part of the world. We need Israel as a counterweight to Iran, Syria, terrorist organizations, etc., you seem oblivious to America's need to have strong and reliable allies throughout the world to help our own security needs. Foreign policy should be based on prudence, not flip ideological comments. You're not ensuring our security. You're ensuring that we will need a much larger military, many more service personnel, bigger intelligence operations, more ships, more aircraft, etc. If we do as you suggest. In other words, my point is we're not going to have bases. We're not going to have allies out there who are looking for, to help us because we're not helping them. 
You'll have China and Russia in the region pouring in, and you'll have Iran as a power. It'd be a disaster. Our allies benefit from our support, but we benefit from them being our first line of defense in certain parts of the world. Your position is not well considered. Happy to discuss further with you on my radio show after next week's debate, although it's always tough to get you on. Moreover, you can't just say you're going to create more Abraham Accords and then walk away. First, nobody will enter into a new accord if we take your position. Why would they? You're just going to sweet talk them into it? Our role there is what created the accords, as President Trump understood. Second, the Abraham Accords actually expand our role in the Middle East. China, Russia, and Iran would salivate. Would salivate if we did as you say. Yet you say you support them, meaning the Abraham Accords. You've essentially said the same about Taiwan. Somehow Taiwan will help us build a computer chip industry, then we abandon them. That's nonsensical. Nor is it our best interest in our best interest from Goldwater to Trump. No serious Republican or conservative has believed as you do. I fear your foreign policy is more in line with Bernie Sanders or the late George McGovern, maybe even the squad. I also believe it's much more likely to cause a world war as China and others see appeasement and weakness as great opportunities. I'm all for outsiders, but respectfully, you need to bone up a bit on this subject. It's not about forever wars, which has nothing to do with this or new thinking. It's old and failed and provocative thinking. Nothing novel or smart about it, in my humble opinion. God bless. So it's going to take those of you out there who are constitutionalists, who are conservatives, who believe in a long, a strong national defense, our national sovereignty, but understand that we have to have alliances that help serve our purposes, that we cannot embrace Sanders' foreign policy, McGovern foreign policy, the squad foreign policy, and expect to survive. They're going to choke us off economically. They're going to become increasingly aggressive. Their military is getting bigger than ours. And so, if the volunteer army doesn't work, they're going to start drafting our sons and our grandchildren. Maybe even our granddaughters. So this is not the answer, in my view. But you're going to treat Israel like Yemen? You're going to treat Israel like what? Like uh, Kuwait? And once they have these accords, then Israel has to integrate into the Arab societies? Now, come on, is this a joke? Sounds cool. It's quite different to have the Abraham Accords and then assume that the Jewish state and its population is going to be accepted and embraced and integrate into the Muslim communities where they're killing each other in the Middle East. It's not going to happen. So sometimes you have to embrace reality. And foreign policy should be based on reality. That's why I use the word prudence. It shouldn't be based on bumper sticker statements or sweet talking or pie in the sky or whatever the hell it is. On the Abraham Accords, there's not another Arab country that will engage in an Abraham Accord negotiation if it thinks the United States is just going to bail on everybody and leave, leave the region to China and Russia and Iran. It's not going to happen. 
So that's number one. I don't know who the foreign policy advisor is, if there is any. Oh, I know. There's Mark, you know, old school hawk. I'm not. I'm a Reaganite. It's what I am. Now it's time to hate Reagan, the old... No, it's not. The most successful president in what? Really, maybe ever. I mean, I put Washington, Lincoln up there, but who's number three? From my perspective, it's Reagan. And by the way, solid conservative, not perfect, perfect enough, and the greatest electoral victory, first time he ran, ever for a Republican, ever. And the second greatest electoral victory, ever. Maybe ever, ever. Losing one state by 3,000 votes, and of course the District of Columbia, where Donald Trump can get a fair trial, of course. Jury of his peers. So yes, I have some questions. Now, I don't know who... George Soros' older brother is. I don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. I just assume he's just as bad as his brother. But here's my question. Before you announce that you're going to run for president, why do you broom that off your site? Why do you pressure Wikipedia to take that off their site? I'm just curious. Nothing personal. Why would you do that? First of all, we've been trying to get Wikipedia to stop lying about me over and over again. They blow us off completely. They don't even have the name of my wife correct. We try to fix that. They ignore us completely. I don't know how you persuade them to take Paul Soros's name off in connection with a fellowship that you had of some guy. I don't know what it is. Again, if you don't have a background or a record then what are people supposed to look at? Now, some of you after the debate are going to come back and say, I like that guy. Mark, you're an a-hole. I like that guy. So like him. Vote for him. I'm not stopping anybody from doing it. I'm voicing my, my opinion. Now, I look at that, and then I look at the Trump record, which is enormous. The Abraham Accords, that's Trump. Securing the border, Trump got close. Holding China in, in line, Trump. Little rocket man, stop firing me. I can go on and on and on about his presidential record. It's tremendous. I can go on and on and on about Ron DeSantis, his gubernatorial record, despite what some of the Trump haters and others say about him. It's the greatest in the country. In fact, it's the greatest I've ever seen of any governor in my life, ever. Which is why he comes under attack by Chris Christie's trying to knock him out of the number two slot. And which is why they say there, there he is, the guy that goes to war over over gays. So they lie like the left. He didn't go to war over gays. But he fought back. He pushed back and he won and he changed the state fundamentally politically. They have a super. They have a legislature supermajority. When's the last time a Republican did something like this? When's the first time? And he won by almost 20% when he ran. 
And he puts everything on the line and runs again, and he knows he's going to be beaten up by Trump. And then there's Chris Christie beating up on him. And I look at him, and I look at this Vivek, and it's amazing to me how friends, even colleagues, on my favorite cable chat, they keep pushing this Vivek guy. And I go, why? Entertaining. I agree. But ask some questions. I've got some more questions. We're going to invite him back on after the debate. We'll invite DeSantis back on. Of course, we'll invite Donald Trump, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, whatever. We'll keep inviting Chris Christie. They'll get up, uh, you know, uh, what about uh, what about it, Chris, Mr. Tough Guy? Why won't you come here? You won't get hurt. It's okay. It's all right, Chris. You hear what he said today, Mr. Producer? Need a big leader, he said. We need a really big leader, he says. Let's listen to this. Let's go. It's cut three. Cut three. Go. Be president of the United States. Joe, because I want our country to go back to doing big things. We have become so small in the way we divide ourselves, pit ourselves against each other, small in the issues that we're arguing about. Look, we've got big things to deal with in the entitlement programs, big issues to deal with on getting right, our stop. economy. I would ask the people in New Jersey, especially Republicans, was this guy a good governor? Your pension plans in New Jersey are a disaster. He didn't do a thing to fix them. How about your property taxes? How about your income taxes? How about your quality of life? What did Chris Christie do about it? About division. The guy can't get elected dog catcher in New Jersey today. He wants to be president. So we need big leaders like Chris Christie. So in many ways, he's, he's like Vivek, but with a record. And not a good one. And not a good one. Go ahead, Mr. Producer. Manageable for people. Big things to do around the world in terms of standing up to authoritarian dictators like Putin and Xi and Kim Jong-un. And how would you do that exactly? Uh, chirp, and the, chirp, the, the chirp, mullahs chirp. in Iran. Yeah, kill it. It's all right. I don't want to hear any more. I'm asking you, the American, how would he do this, these things? This guy... Everybody around him is shutting down a bridge because they're angry at a mayor in a little town in New Jersey. Shutting down a bridge between New York and New Jersey. Can you imagine shutting down a lane on the bridge? He didn't know anything. The chief of staff knew. The deputy chief knew. The campaign guy knew. Uh, the, uh, the janitor knew. The, uh, this one knew. But Chris didn't know anything. Knew nothing about it. Nothing. At the end... It was looked at carefully, and they said, we can't make a, a case that meets the criminal standard beyond a reasonable doubt, even though they felt that he did have a role. But, but that's okay. Chris Christie is going to stand up to them. Chris Christie is going to salvage our economy. We need big leaders, he says, like Washington, Lincoln, FDR, Ronald Reagan. Let me tell you something about Ronald Reagan. Most of these Republicans who talk about Ronald Reagan never supported him in the, in the primary. Never. More on that when I return. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know a company is looking for you when they actually upgrade your service and don't charge you for it? This is great news and for new and current Pure Talk customers. 
Pure Talk just added data to every plan and is including a mobile hotspot with each one with no price increase whatsoever. Now, if you've considered Pure Talk before but haven't pulled the trigger, take a look again. Just $20 a month for unlimited talk text and a 50% more 5G data plus mobile hotspot. Just 20 bucks a month, folks. This is why I love Pure Talk that also happens to be veteran-owned and only hires the best customer service team right here in America. Most families are saving almost $1,000 a year while enjoying the most dependable 5G network in America. Just go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast to make the switch to Pure Talk and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, go to puretalk.com, enter promo code L-E-V-I-N Podcast and make the switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk, today. Where does Vivek stand on right to life? Where does he stand on right to work? I'm, I'm serious. Um, let's go through a bunch of other issues, too. Where does he stand on... Let's pick some other issues. Let's talk about this. What does he think about the flat tax? Or an across-the-board income tax at, say, 10%. Where does he stand on Convention of States? What did he do to support the Tea Party movement in his community? If anything. I mean, if you want to run for president, you've you got to have done something, right? You can't just wake up one morning, or I suppose you can. I'm going to run for president. I'm just curious. So all these interviews. Honest to God, if you watch... Cable TV. It'll give you a feel for who's pushing what. Vivek Ramaswamy and Chris Christie appear everywhere. On our favorite cable network and on the other cable networks. Now, when it comes to a guy like Ron DeSantis, he's not on our favorite cable network that much. Who's pushing him? Nobody. Certainly not the more newsworthy platforms. This, by the way, this isn't an attack. It's not a criticism. The left will try and twist it and do that. It doesn't matter what they do. I'm speaking in plain English for you. This is how it works. This is what's going through the minds of the candidates and the campaigns. This is what's going through the minds of the bookers and the others and the news organizations. But I'm curious where he stands on all these issues. And even more than that, I'm curious if he's done anything about any of them. All right, I'm going to move on. I'll be right back. You know what companies looking for you when they actually upgrade your service and don't charge you for it? This is great news and for new and current Pure Talk customers. Pure Talk just added data to every plan and is including a mobile hotspot with each one with no price increase whatsoever. Now, if you've considered Pure Talk before but haven't pulled the trigger... Take a look again. Just $20 a month for unlimited talk text and a 50% more 5G data plus mobile hotspot. Just 20 bucks a month, folks. This is why I love Pure Talk that also happens to be veteran-owned and only hires the best customer service team 
right here in America. Most families are saving almost $1,000 a year while enjoying the most dependable 5G network in America. Just go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast to make the switch to Pure Talk and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, go to puretalk.com, enter promo code L-E-V-I-N Podcast and make the switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk, today. Mark Levin, the champion of liberty and true conservatism. Call Mark now, 877-381-3811. I get these polls sent to me, a lot of them and endlessly by President Trump's team mostly. And they're really quite fascinating. I don't repeat them much because polls are fleeting, but this one seemed interesting. And take it, you know... As you would, use your noggin when you hear these things. A new National Quinnipiac University poll conducted after the August 1 federal indictment of Trump um, finds the former president with a 39-point lead over his nearest rival, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Trump gets support from 57% of Republican registered voters. DeSantis gets 18%. Businessman Vivek Ramaswamy gets 5%. Former Vice President Mike Pence gets 4 Now, why am I reading this to you? I don't even find this slightly entertaining. I'll tell you why. I just watched a program where the host had Vivek on the program. Then she has two, or he, she, it has two guests on. And they say Vivek's tasting the, taking the nation by storm. Mr. Producer, he's at 5%. Now, President Trump touts this poll, among others, where he's at 57%. DeSantis at 18%. Vivek's at 5%. Pence is at 4%. No other Republican gets more than 3%. If you're at 5%, I don't think you're taking the nation by storm. I'm just giving my opinion. Again, not stirring the pot, not attacking anybody. If I wanted to do that, I know how to do it. But why should I? That's not where I am. 5% is not taking the country by storm. Now, caveat, this is very important. You're going to watch this debate, and you're going to like this guy. You're going to like this guy. I'll tell you why you're going to like this guy. The same reason my daughter initially liked this guy, still she started to dig into him, and others have too. It's a fresh voice in many ways. It's a positive, refreshing voice. What he's going to do, he 100% defends Donald Trump, although he did not after January 6th. In fact, he trashed him pretty good. But that's okay. I got it. It's politics. But the grave danger that the Trump team sees, that Trump supporters see, is DeSantis. Otherwise, they wouldn't keep trashing him. Now, even more than that, that's a secondary point. Most of these candidates are running for second place. They're not running for first place. I mean, we've talked about this, with the exception of Christie, who's just out there trying to take out Trump, DeSantis, anyone who's in his way, the way he tried to do to Marco Rubio, pretty vile guy. And you may have a few others who are doing that. But in truth, even though they say they're not, nobody says they're running for vice president. Nobody cares about William Hurd or people like that. They're irrelevant. 
They'll have the same time on the stage, I guess, but they're irrelevant. What you're going to see is a pile-on. I'm just predicting. And the pile-on, not exclusively, but mostly, will be on Ron DeSantis. Because these guys are running for vice president. Most of them. That's what's happening here. When you're running for president of the United States, you don't keep promoting your rival. You don't keep promoting the big dog who's running. You don't keep defending the big dog who's running. And then say, yeah, but my views are different on X, Y, Z. You're having it both ways. You're having it both ways. Then why run against them? I think Christy Noem said it best, like I told you yesterday. They said to her, why aren't you running for president? And she said, because I can't beat Donald Trump at the primaries, he's going to win. And by the way, she supports most of his policies. I wouldn't run if I were a politician. Why would I run against him? It's clear DeSantis is not running for vice president. And even if he were, Trump wouldn't put up with it. So he's not running for vice president. But I'm going to tell you a little secret. I think Nikki Haley in many ways is. I don't think she'd get it or the nomination. I definitely think Tim Scott is, even though they, of course, deny it as strongly as they can. And by the way, he wouldn't be bad. Not my first choice, but he wouldn't be bad. I'm sure that he doesn't like me now, but so be it. But that debate for another day, that discussion for another day. So I think this is, that's how this is going to set up. And we're going to get a lot of people call here. At, Mark, you said we like this guy. It's fine. Love him. Vote for him. Do whatever you want. I'm not talking about that. I'm giving you my take on what's taking place. You can see it. You can see it. And to the extent that he's not at 1% or 2%, and that he's at 5%, that's a big deal. And maybe after the debates, he'll be at 7 or 8 or 9%. That'll be a big deal. I think if DeSantis comes out of this debate strong, I think that will be a big deal, too. That doesn't mean he gets the nomination. I'm just telling you, that'll be a big deal, too, because he's going to be the target. How much you want to bet, Mr. Producer? How much you want to bet? How much you want to bet, Mr. Call Screener? Am I right? They are all strategizing right now with their little memos and their little notebooks that they have to take out DeSantis. They're not going to even try and take out Trump, again, except for Christie and the others, a handful of others. But they're running for number two. I'll tell you another reason they're running for number two. You ready for this one? Because they're hoping beyond hope that somehow, some way, that Donald Trump doesn't get the nomination. And they want to go to that Republican convention with the most delegates for second place. And they want to claim that they should get the support of the Trump supporters, the delegates. They should get the support of other delegates, the DeSantis supporters or whatever. It's another reason. I'm telling you how they think. It's another reason they're running for number two. Either to try and get the most delegates as number two, 
should they make a run at it at the convention or they want to be vice president? They'll take either. They'll take either. So that's kind of the game. That's the play. That's what's going on right now. And I want to keep going here. So I already predicted Vivek will do well. If he doesn't do well, he's finished. But I predict this is this is the first debate. He is gaming this that he can out-debate anybody. He wins the student government president debate. And nobody can stop him after that other than Trump. Might be right, depending on how you folks react. I don't know. But you can see he already has many... You know what's interesting about this? You have a lot of conservatives who live inside the Beltway or just outside the Beltway who attack what they call insiders or the ruling class. Many of them are appended to the insiders and to the ruling class in Washington while they, they rail against it. You won't find me invited to almost anything that the Republican Party is involved. I don't care if it's the RNC, the NR this, the, the SD, the, whatever it is. Certainly not the Republican convention. I had more arrows in my back than uh, uh, whomever. They come on TV, including on Fox, and they talk about who's the fresh air, who's not the insider, and so forth. It's a weird thing. So if you're a successful governor, you're part of the swamp. Reagan was an incredibly successful governor. He was no part of the swamp, and I wanted to get to that. I'm glad I reminded myself. To hear people like my dear friend and rhino, Hugh Hewitt, and Chris Christie, and Larry Hogan, and some of the people on TV and radio who never ever supported Reagan early on in his career, dismissed him as a dunce, denounced him as an extremist, as a threat. They did the same exact thing to Reagan when he was challenging the Republican establishment. And one of the people involved was Karl Rove. It was Karl Rove in 1980 when he was behind George H.W. Bush and they were working behind the scenes, sleazing, smearing Reagan. He denies it. And let me put it to you this way. Should I call him a liar, Mr. Producer? No, I would never do that. He's not right. He's not accurate. Not accurate. And there are others. Mitch McConnell never supported Reagan in any of his efforts to take on the Republican ruling class, as you can imagine, ever. Ever. But they say Reagan now is somebody they look up to. They look up to Reagan. Chris Christie looks up to Reagan. He's a Bush guy, but he looks up to Reagan. Larry Hogan looks up to Reagan, worse than a Bush guy. Asa Hutchison, just a basic garden variety moron. Reagan guy. They were none of them were Reagan guys. Not one of them. I'm just making the point. Well, look at this, ladies and gentlemen. A Biden mega donor gives massive contribution 
to Chris Christie's campaign. Multi-billionaire and Biden mega-donor Barry Diller has donated $50,000 to aid the presidential campaign of Republican Trump rival Chris Christie. Diller has already donated $100,000 to the re-election campaign of Joe Biden, but now the Biden mega-donor seems to have started a concerning trend with anti-Trump candidates positioning themselves as rival to the former president, the New York Post reported. And the Washington Post reported that Democrats spent tens of millions in advance of the 2022 midterm election in efforts to prop up Republican primary candidates who they thought were the weakest. So according to the Post, Democrats spent $53.3 million in 13 different primaries on that effort. By the way, fewer than half of the Democrat candidates they want, that the candidates on the Republican side they wanted prevailed. That doesn't seem to bother them. Liberals have been donating to Chris Christie in both large and small amounts. You're wondering, who are these Republicans? Well, there's a lot of Democrats. Kara Swisher, host of Vox Media's On with Karen Swisher, gave Christie a modest $5. I gave him money, she said, because I want him to be on the stage. I want him to reach that number. And I really like debates. I watch them. I think it's important that Trump have someone who actually can take on a little bit, take him on a little bit better. What appears to be the real motive behind liberals supporting Christie? Stopping Trump. While Swisher gave Christie the equivalent of a small amount, Diller, with a net worth of $3.8 billion, according to Forbes, contributed a hell of a lot more, but the effect will be the same. A new Quinnipiac University poll released Wednesday showed that only 17% of Republicans have a favorable view of Christie. Christie is the most hated candidate on the stage. Not even close. Meanwhile, the Real Clear Politics average of nationwide polls for Christie puts him at 2.7%. So you see what's happening. Christie is a, uh, a puppet for the Democrats on the left, and a willing puppet for the Democrats on the left. And you heard it here first, despite the fact that he shows up on every show in America. Nobody else will challenge him, because this is the one show he won't show up. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin'. You know what companies looking for you when they actually upgrade your service and don't charge you for it? This is great news and for new and current Pure Talk customers. Pure Talk just added data to every plan and is including a mobile hotspot with each one with no price increase whatsoever. Now, if you've considered Pure Talk before but haven't pulled the trigger, take a look again. Just $20 a month for unlimited talk text and now 50% more 5G data plus mobile hotspot. Just 20 bucks a month, folks. This is why I love Pure Talk. That also happens to be veteran-owned and only hires the best customer service team right here in America. Most families are saving almost $1,000 a year while enjoying the most dependable 5G network in America. Just go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast to make the switch to Pure Talk, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, go to puretalk.com, enter promo code L-E-V-I-N Podcast. Make the switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk, today. I can't get over this Chris Christie line on the morning, Joe. He's running because I want our country to go back to doing big things. Isn't this why they hate Donald Trump, by the way? Ridiculously, they accuse him of being a dictator or something, but didn't he do big things? 
He did very big things. That's why they hate his guts. And he did big things to try and corral the ruling class and so forth and so on. Same here in Florida with Ron D. That's why they hate these guys. Chris Christie didn't do big things. Well, he did big things, but good Lord, that's unspeakable, don't you think, Mr. Producer? I haven't mentioned it this Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. I guess at 7 p.m. Central. Y'all, you know the times. Life, Liberty, and Levin. It's a killer show. The opening is killer. The guests are on fire. Senator Tom Cotton, fantastic. Victor Davis Hanson, fantastic. And little old me. Don't miss it. Set your DVR. As I'm speaking, set your DVR. Don't forget. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, I'm sad to report to you. Those of us who are old enough to remember that uh, on the death of James Buckley, William Buckley's older brother. It's very sad. What a solid individual he was. Ronald Reagan appointed him after he'd served in the Senate for six years on the circuit court in Washington, D.C. I had the great honor of briefly meeting him. And he was a big fan. I guess he was in his 80s then. New York Post, James L. Buckley, a conservative beacon who won a shock election victory to represent New York in the U.S. Senate in 1970, died. He was 100 years old. Buckley's death in a Washington hospital was the result of complications from a fall. I don't, can't tell you how many times I hear this, and this has been experienced in our own family. His nephew, author and political satirist Christopher Buckley, told the New York Times on Friday, New York City native Buckley, the older brother of William F. Buckley of National Review, catapulted to national fame with his victory 
for the conservative party, the three-way Senate race between Republican incumbent Charles Goodell, who had been appointed by Governor Nelson Rockefeller to serve out the term of the assassination, assassinated Robert F. Kennedy and Democrat Richard Oniger. Now, let me tell you, Charles Goodell was a liberal Republican. And the conservative party had had enough with liberal Republicans out of New York. That's all they were getting, particularly Nelson Rockefeller. Charles Goodell was the father of Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, who's also a liberal. I think he's a Republican, but he's a liberal. Buckley, who had sought to challenge Goodell for the GOP line, but was rejected by state party official, hammered both the Republican and the Democrat for their dovish stances on the Vietnam War. You see, when I was growing up, conservatives were hawks. Supported the military. Supported our fight against communism. Today, you will find a handful of people debating on that stage who share that belief. They don't even believe we should support Israel or Taiwan. That is utterly contemptible to me. Buckley won the election with just 38.8% of the vote. That's all right. Lincoln won his first election for president with 39% of the vote. Buckley's victory was the last for a third-party Senate candidate until Joe Lieberman won re-election as an independent from Connecticut in 2006. And no non-incumbent senator contender has won on a third-party ballot since. Buckley served a single term in the Senate. Uh, Let's see here. Which he championed adding a so-called human life amendment to the Constitution in the aftermath of the Roe decision. He was also the primary sponsor of the Family Education Rights and Property Act, which limits access to students' records by third parties, and the Protection of Pupils' Rights Act, a parental rights law, which allows parents to inspect instructional material used as part of the educational curriculum. This law, which is still in existence, which can still be used by parents across the country, my wife reminds me of this all the time, This was the Buckley Law. And he did something else that's not mentioned in this article. The Freedom of Information Act, FOIA, that was Buckley. Buckley wrote and sponsored that legislation. An effort was made at the 1976 Republican National Convention to draft Buckley as the party's presidential candidate. The nomination eventually went to President Gerald Ford following a strong challenge from future President Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan fell about 100 delegates short of taking out the incumbent appointed President Gerald Ford, and the establishment hated him for it. Mitch McConnell was a Ford guy. This is when everything was on the line. What was the party going to be, and what would the country look like? Separate the men from the boys. McConnell went with the boys. The Bush guys went with Ford. So did their advisors. They don't want you to remember that. Brother Hugh went with Ford against Reagan, even though he's still my friend, don't get me wrong. That November, Buckley lost his re-election bid, which he contested on the Republican and conservative line. You may have heard of who he lost to, Daniel Patrick Moynihan. He went made one more attempt to run. 1980 was defeated again, this time by Connecticut Democrat Christopher Dodd. Because he lived in Connecticut at that point. Reagan chose Buckley as his undersecretary of state. 
Beginning in 1992, he spent three years as president of Radio Free Europe and Radio Liberty. And in 1985, Reagan appointed Buckley to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, where he sat for more than a decade, making him the rare American to serve his country in all three branches of government. He also served in World War II, enlisting in the Navy after the attack on Pearl Harbor. He saw combat in the Pacific before his discharge as a lieutenant. Let me just see here. The New York State Conservative Party chairman, Gerald Kassar, said on Friday that his party owes Buckley an enormous debt of gratitude for his 1970 historic Senate win and expressed great sorrow at the news. <clears throat> hundred years old, he had a lot of accomplishments. New York State GOP Chairman Ed Cox. Now, Ed Cox, of course, um, the at one time, the son-in-law to Richard Nixon. Praise Buckley as a fine man, a true conservative, principled sinner, and a superb judge. Well, there you have it. Herbert Stupp. Herb Stupp, an old buddy of mine from the Reagan days. Former state chairman of Youth for Buckley in 1970. Herb, if you're out there, how you doing, my friend? And New York City's Commission on Aging from 1994 to 2002 called Buckley, with whom he maintained a friendship for 50 years, a personal hero. And he was. He was a great hero. Buckley was living in Bethesda, Maryland at the time he passed away, survived by six children, eight grandchildren, two great-grandchildren. And his wife, Anne Frances Cooley, died in 2011. Thought you should know. As many of you don't, he was a great man. <clears throat> now, when we come back, take a little bit of an early break, Mr. Producer. I want to read something to you. You see what's happening in New York City now? All of a sudden, the Democrat cities do not want illegal immigrants. Chicago, the most radical left-wing mayor in the hemisphere, on the planet. They don't want illegal immigrants. Why? Because they're citizens. They're actual citizens. have had enough. They've had enough of the crime. They've had enough of the filth in the streets. They've had enough of their parks being taken over. They've had enough. This is what happens, America, when Joe Biden has allowed over 5 million illegal aliens into the country. 5 million. In less than his full term. In two and a half years in office, five million. Bill Barr's not sure if he'd vote for him or Trump, though. Don't worry, because Bill Barr doesn't live there. I know where Bill Barr lives. There's not an illegal alien within 10 miles. But the American people see it. Even Democrats are starting to see it, I hope. We're not a sanctuary city anymore. Oh, too late, pal. It's their president who's doing it. And he, he keeps going and going. You notice they don't do a thing to stop it. They just lie. They play rope-a-dope. And I want to address this in a big way when we return. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
I want to read something to you, and the folks in New York, Chicago, all over the country, in these major cities. You haven't, but your fellow citizens there have voted Democrat, and the Democrat Party hates your country, they hate you, they even hate their cities. They're ideologues who push an agenda. Doesn't matter the consequences. That's exactly what's taking place. And they're destroying the country. The Democrat Party hates America. And I want this to be emblazoned in everybody's brain, from sea to shining sea and beyond. And I write about, again, this is just a baby little taste of what's in the book. A man I've talked about before, a liberal, a Democrat. And on this issue, he saw the writing on the wall. Passed away a few years back, did Democrat governor of Colorado, Richard Lamb. Traditional liberal. A few years after leaving politics, he gave a weighty five-minute speech. This is the book. In 2004 in Washington on how to destroy America. His comments cannot be properly summarized without doing damage to their impact. They're both profound and succinct. At least succinct enough to provide in full, I say in the book. Again, this is just one tiny piece. Lamb said, and tell me if this is impression, 20 years later, if you believe that America's too smug, too self-satisfied, too rich, then let's destroy it. It's not that hard to do. No nation in history has survived the ravages of time. First, turn America into a bilingual or multilingual and bicultural country. History shows that no nation can survive the tension, conflict, and antagonism of two or more competing languages and cultures. It is a blessing for an individual to be bilingual. However, it is a curse for a society to be bilingual. The historical scholar Seymour Lipset put it this way. The histories of bilingual and bicultural societies that do not assimilate are histories of turmoil, tension, and tragedy. He said Canada, Belgium, Malaysia, Lebanon all face crises of national experience which minorities press for autonomy, if not independence. Pakistan and Cyprus have divided. Nigeria suppressed an ethnic rebellion. France faces difficulties with Bosques, Protons, Protons, Pretons, and Corsicans, and of course now Muslims. Second, to destroy America, invent multiculturalism. I'm trying to read with one eye closed. Invent multiculturalism and engage immigrants to maintain their culture. I would make it an article of belief that all cultures are equal, that there are no cultural differences. Make it an article of faith that the black and Hispanic dropout rates are due to prejudice and discrimination by the majority. Every other explanation is out of bounds. Third, we can make the United States a Hispanic Quebec without much effort. The key is to celebrate diversity rather than unity. As Benjamin Schwartz said in the Atlantic Monthly recently, the apparent success of our own 
multi-ethnic and multicultural experiment might have been achieved, not by tolerance, but by hegemony. Without the dominance that once dictated ethnocentrality in what is meant to be in America, we are left with only tolerance and pluralism to hold us together. He says, I would encourage all immigrants to keep their own language and culture. I would replace the melting pot metaphor with the salad bowl metaphor. It's important to ensure that we have various cultural subgroups living in America, reinforcing their differences rather than as Americans, emphasizing their similarities. Fourth, I would make our fastest growing demographic group the least educated. I would add a second underclass, unassimilated, undereducated, and antagonistic to our population. Boy, oh boy, the meeting the Democrats with the white majority, the white dominant. I would have this second underclass have a 50% dropout rate from high school. My fifth point for destroying America would be to get big foundations in business to give these efforts lots and lots of money. I would invest in ethnic identity and I would establish the cult of victimology. I would get all minorities to think their lack of success was the fault of the majority. I would, st- I would start a grievance industry, blaming all minority failures on the majority population. And there you have it, CRT. My sixth plan for America's downfall would include dual citizenship and promote divided loyalties. I would celebrate diversity over unity. I would stress differences rather than similarities. Diverse people worldwide are mostly engaged in hating each other. That is, when they're not killing each other. A diverse, peaceful, or stable society is against most historical precedent. People undervalue the unity. Unity is what it takes to keep a nation together. Look at the ancient Greeks. The Greeks believed that they belonged to the race. They possessed a common language and literature. And they worshipped the same gods. All Greece took place in the Olympic Games. Took part in the Olympic Games, sorry. A common enemy, Persia, threatened their liberty. Yet all these bonds were not strong enough to overcome two factors, local patriotism and geographical conditions that nurtured political division. So Greece fell. And I might add, when you look at ancient Judaism and the Second Temple, which many of you have visited, And the Romans brutally attacking the temple, the walls, for several years, four and a half, five years. While it was taking place, while the Jews in the temple were trying to defend themselves against this all-powerful Roman army, they were fighting with each other. Violently at times different Jewish tribes having different interpretations of the Torah. They were violently fighting with each other while they were fighting the Romans. Sounds a lot like the United States with China on the rise. E pluribus unum from many one in that historical reality 
If you put the emphasis on the pluribus instead of the unum, we can balkanize America as surely as Kosovo. Next to last, I would place all subjects off limits. Make it taboo to talk about anything against the cult of diversity. I would find a word similar to heretic in the 16th century that stopped discussion and paralyzed thinking. Words like racist or xenophobes halt discussions and debate. Having inside America bilingual, bicultural economy, having established multiculturalism, having the large foundations fund a doctrine of victimology, I would next make it impossible to enforce our immigration laws. There you go. This is the Joe Biden manual. I just read it to you. The late governor, Democrat Richard Lamb from the Democrat Party Hates America. Be right back. Mark Levin, the thunder on the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. If I heard correctly during the break, we're going to send some F-16s to Ukraine. And all the folks out there, some of you, but certainly online, the commenters, many of whom are Russian bots, by the way, we, we understand that. But also the, uh, the putinoid wing of the GOP have said this will cause World War III. Well, we're about to find out because it's not going to cause World War III. And people need to stop mimicking what the most asinine and hysterical people say about these things. At least that's my take on it. I'm sorry. At least that's my view on it. We have some great calls here, and I'm going to take some of them. Let's go to Fred, Sunnyvale, California, where we lived at one point. The great KSFO. Fred, you're back. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good, Captain. Thank you. What do you think? I hope you're doing well. Well, God bless you for your service. Listen, I just want to get to the point. This guy, Ramsaswamy, Wami, whatever. Um, I believe he's. Come on, a we got to be nice. We got to be nice. Okay, forgive Go ahead. me then. Um, what I'm afraid of and what I think people need to be aware of, just like Chris Christie and others, they're saying what we want to hear, but I really think they're working for the opposite position. Um, and another thing is if the gentleman, Vivek, does get in and he is a the 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 uh, nominee for the uh, republicans he won't be the nominee he's he's running for vice president and if he can't get that he's running for the next time around that's what he's doing very good if he gets in and he has any kind of power and he doesn't do what republicans or you and i expect him or hope that he will do and anyone complains about it they'll just call the racist card I don't know about that, but I will tell you, I, thanks for your call, Fred. I asked a simple question when he was here. I said, uh, I appreciate your ideas, but my question to you is this. You want to fundamentally fire all these people in the federal bureaucracy. I'm certainly for it. But let's say Congress says, not only won't you be able to do that, because we will block it. And he says, well, we have the power in the executive branch to do a lot of this on our own. And he's right. But let's say they say, you know what? The Democrats, we are, uh, we're not going to fund your defense budget. Or 50 other things they could say. I said, these are the kinds of things you need to think about. And he had, didn't have an answer. They, I'm, I'm just saying, maybe there is no answer. But you have to be prepared for real hand-to-hand combat. This isn't, how can I put it? This isn't a Harvard debate society. 
This is in a Harvard debate society. You got to skin your knuckles, get some dirt under your fingernails. And if you haven't done that before, you got to explain how you're going to be able to do it. Does that make sense, Mr. Producer? Because when push comes to shove, you're going to have to get in the trenches and fight. How are you going to do it? I think it's a legitimate question. I mean, this is the presidency we're talking about. Let's go to Luke. Trucker, Utah, XM Satellite. Luke, how are you, sir? Yeah, hey, Mark. Yeah, home every day, trucker. So I've, uh, I'll cut right to the chase. I've, I've watched uh, probably 20 interviews with Vivek Ramaswamy, and I've, I've listened and watched him very closely. And I think, uh, you know, he would have to be the greatest con man, but I really do think that he loves this con. I think he loves America. I think he understands the Constitution. I think he loves America, and too. Principle. Uh, and and I, I, he's smart off the charts. There's no doubt about that. In in many, you know, but you don't know a damn thing you know, about him. That's he's the really problem. Quick. And I don't either. That's true. I'm just saying. I've I've watched watched. Where do you live in Utah? Closely. What city? Is, the, okay, Luke. Let's have a conversation. Where do you live in Utah? Amer- American Fork, Utah, is where I live. Would you vote for a mayor if you didn't know anything about the mayor? Let me put it to you this way. Appearances on Fox or Meet the Press or on radio shows are great. I've been doing this a long time. I am not against the man. I want to be utterly clear. I'm not his enemy. I can't pin him down. And you're not going to persuade me otherwise because I need him to persuade me otherwise. And of course you've watched him 20 times on Fox because he's been on Fox 20 times. I'm not against that either. That's why he's at 5% and not at 1% or 2% like Chris Christie. He's been on Fox forever, too. But he's not likable. Vivek is likable. Vivek can talk. He's articulate. He's smart. That's great. It's not enough for me. That's all. It's just not enough. When I see that up against a Donald Trump who has a record, or up against a Ron DeSantis who has a record, or some of these other people... When you've actually gone through and fought like hell with the teachers unions and fought like hell with the Republican establishment and have fought like hell for a wall on the southern border and have fought like hell for judgeships, whether the Supreme Court and Fl- when I see all that, I'm th- there's my Patton. There's my George Patton. When somebody says they're going to do things that others are already doing, that's a communications director. A communications director. I want George Patton. That's what I want. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Um, but the other thing is, is that, uh, you know, nobody, uh, I think I think you have to have a little bit of humility. Uh, each person does. By the way, DeSantis and Trump are warriors, uh, you know, uh, for sure. I just think that maybe there has to be some humility to understand that nobody's going to have all the answers all the time. Trump's made mistakes. We all make mistakes. Every, you know. So I think there has to be some understanding that, hey, look, you know, we're, we're not going to have all the answers all the time on foreign policy, on this and that. You know, and, and, and. All right, I'm confused. So who has to have humility? Who are you talking to? Uh, 
a, a world leader is what I would like to see to you know to be able to say for, for them to be able to say that. Look, well, they have listen. I, let me to the defense of all of them up here. They have to have answers, otherwise, what's the point? I don't think it means they don't have humility. I think it means they have to have positions. They have to run on stuff. They have to have an agenda, which they believe in, which they have to get behind. The question for me, the voter, not the campaign manager, not the for me, the voter is, what am I voting for? That's all. What am I voting for? And so that's why I said I live here in Florida. We do half the time, more than half the time of the year. Compared to other states, this is paradise. It didn't just happen. You kids, you send your kids in grand school and grandkids to public school here. They're not going to learn about CRTV. They're not going to learn about private parts. Parental rights exist in this state. This was all done under dissent. I'm just making a point under DeSantis. Right here. When they had the pandemic and we were here, it was like you're in West Germany versus East Germany. You can go into a restaurant if you wanted to. You didn't have to wear a mask. Restaurants were open. They survived. It was night and day. Now, I have to compare that to Vivek Ramaswamy, who I'm told is rising in the public. And I'm thinking, why? It's not that he's a bad guy. It's not that he doesn't have good ideas. But to get these things done in a state or nationally like Trump did, you have to have knife wounds. You have knives in your back. There are political injuries from this stuff. People want to take you out. You have dirt under your fingernails, as I said. Your knuckles are scraped. You understand what I'm saying? All right, my friend. That's Thank you point. for your I call. I like appreciate it. Let's go on quickly. Yeah. Kathy, Bergen, New Jersey, the great WABC. Quickly, please. Go right ahead. Hi, Mark. I just wanted to add to the healthy skepticism of Vivek. When he was on Hannity last night, Hannity was trying to get him to commit to his... Wait a minute. He was on Hannity last night. He was on Ingram today. He's going to be on uh, Cavuto tomorrow. That's the campaign, I think, right there. Go ahead. On Ingram, before he said he would pardon President Trump. Anyway, so last night on Hannity, he was talking about taxes, and Hannity wanted him to say there would be no inheritance tax. And then he, he said he would do a 12% tax. And Hannity said, you, you mean like you would have an inheritance tax? And then he said 12.5% across the board. So it was just kind of interesting. He started, he literally said 12, and then two sentences later it was. Well, I'll tell you this. Under Reagan's tax cut, there was zero. Zero. And that's how... When George Steinbrenner died, his son was able to inherit the Yankees and not have to sell it. But when the so-called Washington Redskins at the time, now the Washington Commanders, when the owner there died, you had a significant inheritance tax and his family couldn't keep the company. They had to sell it to Snyder. And we know the consequences there. I know. Let me finish. All right. Thanks for your call. Appreciate it. Four times is enough. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, Pete Hegseth, Will Kane, 
um, Duffy, they do a hell of a job. They really do. Either by themselves or together. I feel the same way with Fox and Friends of the Morning, those folks. They do a hell of a good job. It's not easy getting up at some ungodly hour and doing a show like that. But they, uh, they do a fantastic job. Brother Hannity, of course. He's pretty much the king, the longtime king of cable. Been around the longest. He's the steady Eddie. Gets solid ratings, no matter who is up against him. You know, there's always up and down, but steady Eddie. I don't know that anybody's lasted as long as he... Well, maybe Larry Kane did. Larry Kane! Folks, the weekend's here. The evening, Friday evening's upon us. Probably the best time of the weekend, because you have the whole weekend ahead of you. I want you to go to Amazon.com, pre-order your first edition copy of The Democrat Party Hates America. I've been reading little tidbits for you. And it's 40% off on top of that. And don't forget Sunday, we have a great Life, Liberty, and Levin. If there's some football game or something going on, please go ahead and DVR the show. You can set your DVR now. We have great guests. We have uh, Senator Tom Cotton, who is uniquely skilled and experienced and intelligent as a senator or anything else. And Victor Davis Hanson, who I call America's wise man. You'll want to have, you want to listen to them. And of course... My killer opening monologue. So we got a lot going on. I hope you'll participate. We go to America every Friday in honor of you. Here we go.
don't forget, please, Life, Liberty, and Levin, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, all times in between and around. If you don't think you'll see it live, please set your DVR this evening. The week is officially over. The weekend officially begins now. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. We salute the freedom fighters in Taiwan and Ukraine and around the world and our truckers. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Zelda and Smokey. Good night, Gigi and Indy and Barney and Patton and Rory and Marty. Oh, we love you. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. Good night, Leo. Good night, Joe. I'll see you at Amazon in 30 seconds. Good night, America!